0: Amen. Thank you for that, Steve. It was wonderful, wonderful prayer. Well, good to have you in God's house today. We're certainly glad that you're here to worship with us. And let uh, me mention too today that uh, this Saturday is the final Love Life Prayer Walk over on Randallman Road in Greensboro, around the abortion clinic. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we're not sponsoring that specifically, but it is the last walk for the year. They don't kick off again until March. And so, if you'd like to be a part of that, that's nine o'clock Saturday morning. Randleman Road, and there'll be hundreds of people there that uh, will do that prayer walk around uh, the clinic. And if you've never done that, it's a great thing to do and a great thing to be a part of. So that'll be Saturday at nine. I did want to mention that. Today, I'm going to preach a message called, entitled, uh, Don't Start a Fight You Can't Finish. Don't Start a Fight You Can't Finish. And uh, my focus here is in the text of Mark chapter 14, Verse 12 to 31. So I'm a little ambitious about getting through all these verses, and I hope to do it. I'm going to move as quickly as I can to cover it all. But would you stand with me now as we read God's Word? Mark 14, verse 12 to 31. 12 to 31. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. And the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was even, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me and the one who is eating with me. They began to be grieved and said to him, one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is the one of the twelve, that one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And while they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave to them and said, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that today, this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. You may be seated. One of the things that's happening now in the book of Mark is there is now this clear cosmic fight, a clear cosmic fight between the forces of hell and the forces of heaven, the forces of Satan and the forces of God. God. And they're coming to a culmination here in this, and it's a very key passage because Jesus Christ is about to be apprehended by the chief priests, scribes, and Judas because Judas is agreed now because he watched the kindness and the self-sacrificial life of Jesus, and he just had enough. And he wanted that money, and he was sick of all the money he was wasting and giving away. And so Judas determined in his heart to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver which, by the way, is the price of a slave because Jesus would become a slave on the cross. Now, Mark doesn't say this, but John says it. In John chapter 13, verse 27, 27 it says that after Jesus or Judas determined to betray him, Satan went into him. Satan went into him. So up until that time, he'd been operating on his own in his selfish, greedy little way, but then Satan went into him. He wasn't demon-possessed. He was Satan-possessed. That's a whole nother level. And Satan went into an unregenerate, greedy man because that's who he likes to hang out with, greedy people. And so in that state, All you face now at this moment of time, it's so clear that all you face is turmoil, and all you see Jesus in is chaos and turmoil. So if you're facing any turmoil at this moment, this is a great time to understand this, if there's any kind of turmoil in your life, okay? And I want you to understand this as I jump into this today. The emblem of the cross is a symbol. It is a symbol that faith leads you into suffering important you understand that about your Christian walk faith leads you into suffering just like you're led into the wilderness or you're led into loneliness or you're led into pain or you're led into temptation it's the same kind of idea here but faith won't get you into anything that it won't get you out of faith won't get you into anything that it won't get you out of because he is the alpha and omega he is the beginning and the end And if he got you into it at the start, I promise you he will get you out of it at the finish because that's who God is, and that's what God does with faith. He may get you into something, but he will get you out of something. God doesn't start a fight. He can't finish. If we have a common enemy to fight, we have a common God to protect us. And if we have a common question, we have a common answer, and the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so I want to look at that today. And so I've outlined this message. I had so many different outlines, and this is the one I landed on because it just kind of hit me the most in my own walk with God. God is in total charge and total control of five things in your life. And these are good to write down, storm away, because you're going to face one of them sometime, somewhere in your life. And I have never seen them more clearly than in this passage today. Five things he is in total charge and total control. of. Okay, here we go. Number one, the first thing he is in total charge and total control of is your time clock. Your time clock. He's in total charge of your time clock. Now, I'm, I'm broadening it here from chapter 14 to verse, chapter 15 here to give you the bigger picture. But one of the things I learned in my study is this that in the Gospel of Mark, he has shown little interest in time sequencing. He was more about immediately or then they went over here, but he no, not, never was into time much. But now, in this portion of Scripture, he is measuring everything by the hour. Every time frame is with detail. And this, this is an amazing thing because it's almost like Mark is turning on the stopwatch where Jesus goes from the Passover all the way to his burial, and every hour is accounted for. I've never picked up on this in the scriptures, and so some of my study has pointed this out to me. A great guy to read on that is Curavilla. Abraham Curavilla wrote a book called Mark and uh, he points this out, and I thought this was beautiful stuff. So the stopwatch is turned on. Now, what you have to notice here, we we left off with this a couple Sundays ago, and we said in chapter 13, verse 35, he told the parable of the man who went on a journey. That's Jesus leaving. He said, I'm going to come back, so when I come back, be ready, be alert, don't go sleeping, In other words, don't sleep on your walk with God. Don't get your life into disobedience. Don't do something that you'd be ashamed of if he returned at any moment. Those kind of things. And then he says, because you don't know when the master is coming. Verse 35, you don't know whether it's in the evening, the midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning. Those are the four watches of a Hebrew calendar. At night. The midnight, or the evening, the midnight, the rooster crowing, or in the morning. Those are no accidents because that sets up the rest of the narratives all the way to the end of the book are these four watches at night. Now, in these four watches, you can break them down even a little further for a Gentile or a Roman calendar at night. The Roman calendar had this watch. So you take the evening. We're going to break it down into two more. You've got 6 to 9 p.m. The Lord is celebrating the Lord's Supper and Passover. Okay, 6 to 9 p.m. Then from 9 to 12 p.m., he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and this is where you can pick up these time elements very clearly. You can know this exactly. 9 to 12, he's praying in the Garden. And so during that time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes and he says, now you guys stay here and pray. I'm going to go pray. He goes and prays for an hour. He comes back says, what are you all doing Asleep?" you're sleeping. Can't you pray for one hour? Then he goes back, and he says, I'm going to go pray again, and he prays for another hour, and he comes back, he says, he says the same thing. Can't you pray for one hour? One hour? And then he says, I'm going to go again, and he goes again, and he comes back the third hour, and the third time he says, Okay, that's it. There's no more time to pray. You guys have been sleeping every hour for the last three hours, so it's time to be betrayed, which is an amazing statement in Scripture because what he's saying is from 9 to 12, we're in the garden praying. At least Jesus was, okay? And there's where he sweated, swept drops of blood in his prayer. And uh, Jesus is praying that, and then at midnight is when Judas comes. Jesus was betrayed at the darkest hour of the night at midnight. You can see the timing of Mark here beautifully. And so at midnight, Jesus, uh, Judas comes with all the chief priests, the scribes, and all of the Roman soldiers, and he betrays him. So from 12 to 3 a.m., Jesus goes under these trials before the Jewish leaders, all right? Then at the next watch, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., is called the rooster crow watch, So Jesus is under trial from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. as well, but so is Peter. And Jesus proves faithful and Peter proves unfaithful and denies him three times just like it was predicted and then the rooster crows by 6 a.m. because that's the start of the day and a rooster is designed to do that by God to crow as the morning early light appears. So from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m a.m. that is what occurs all right so then from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. he goes before the gentile rulers Pilate and Herod the trials the scourging and the crucifixion then from 12 p.m. the sky goes dark back to midnight like with Judas but now the father betrays the son or not betrays him but turns on the son and forsakes him forsakes him then at 3 p.m. Thousands and thousands of Passover lambs are slaughtered and Jesus Christ dies at that exact moment, 3 p.m. Then they've got three hours to get him in the grave before 6 p.m. And every hour up to his burial is accounted for. It's absolutely amazing to see that. During these watches, every hour of the night on the clock, Christ shows himself faithful and the disciples show themselves unfaithful. That's an amazing thing here because here's what I want you to see in the first point. Whether you are faithful or unfaithful, your time clock is overseen in total control by God. I don't care if you're faithful or unfaithful. Your time clock is overseen by God. That's good to know when you mess up. It's good to know that your time clock is going Right on schedule, either way, faithful or unfaithful, God is in charge of it. God is in charge of it. That's number one. Number two, let me jump in now more to the text. Your appointments, God is in total control and total uh, total charge of your appointments. In verse 12 to 16, I'm just going to summarize this. The disciples say, hey, it's Passover time. It's Thursday afternoon's coming up. It's going to be 6 o'clock soon. We've got to get the Passover ready. Where are we going to do this? And Jesus said, no problem. Here's what we'll do. What we'll do is we'll send you out. And Jesus says to two of his very close, confidential disciples, Peter and John, We know this from another book, not from the book of Mark, but he says to them, you two, go get it ready. Now why would he do that so secretly and even say, tell him teacher, and there's this guy, he's going to meet you on the way and he's going to have a water pot and when you see the guy with the water pot, he's going to meet you and greet you and then you follow him to the owner and then the owner's going to show you the secret room because he's doing everything in secret. Remember, Judas is already determined to betray him. So Judas is in the room of the 12, and when Jesus says, here's where we're going to celebrate the Passover, Judas is listening with the intent that he wants to betray him at an opportune time, if you remember that word. He was looking for a convenient time. What Judas did when he wanted to betray Jesus is he didn't want to betray him at an inconvenient time. In other words, he wanted to make this thing easy. Get in, get out, get the money, go home. Get in, get out, get the money, go home. That was Judas' plan. That's why Jesus said, do it quickly. You want to get in, get out, get the money, go home? Do it quickly. Well, what Judas didn't know is in 24 hours he'd be in hell. That's what he didn't know. And so it's, it's, it's a very... Uh, sneaky kind of operation here on Jesus' part, not to let Judas in on the secret because he didn't want to. He didn't want to get betrayed too soon. He literally said, I'm going to make sure I have a Passover with these disciples, and I'll make sure I have a prayer in the garden before I'm betrayed. I will not be betrayed before midnight, and therefore, Jesus is kind of keeping this hush-hush because there's hit men out there for him, there are political leaders out there to kill him, and there is Judas who is trying to betray him. So Jesus is very secretive about all of this, and it is an amazing thing to think about because Ultimately, what you have going on here is he is deliberately doing this. He is deliberately sneaking around. Now, I just want to make an application here. Sometimes running from persecution is a good idea. And this is what we learn about Jesus at this point, is literally, now we have to be willing to suffer for Christ. That's part of the calling for every Christian. But it's not healthy to go out there and suffer for Christ deliberately, as if you're going to honor God by looking for persecution, looking for, that's not wise. That's not wise. Now, Jesus wants us to stand up for him, but I'm telling you, you need balance. You need balance on how you handle this, and that's what I think is going on here. Jesus never stopped teaching the truth, but he never stopped hiding from those trying to kill him. He never stopped hiding from those trying to kill him. Now, I'm never supposed to stop saying he is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm supposed to share that people need Jesus, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to dodge when somebody throws a bottle at my head, okay? I'm going to do what I can to protect myself. That's what Jesus is doing here, just so you can get it in your head and in your mind that you're to do the same kind of thing here in, in these kind of incidences. And so, He's still moving toward the cross. He's deliberately going to the garden to be betrayed, but not before his divine appointment. He is not going to let them take him too soon. He is going to wait till midnight before they can betray him. And he's working everything out to that end, all right? So that's the point there, that he is in charge, total charge of every appointment you have every appointment you just got to get that in your mind I try to do that mentally with myself I run into people somebody cut me off the other day went up and cut me off on the car and and my first thought was I'll get on their tail I'll get on the, I'm a pastor I know but I'll get right on their tail and I'll show them they shouldn't do that to me I'll take them on okay that that's what ran through my mind first then what ran through my mind is what if that was an appointment by God I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about getting right on their tail. That's what I want to think about. And But the truth is that sometimes you're put in situations where you are put in an appointment with that person. That is so, if you could get that into your heart, it would change sometimes how you think. Because that's the only way I can change how I think is to think that that is a divine appointment for me. Okay? All right. I'm going to go away from that illustration. It's a terrible one, but let's go on. Okay, so he's in charge of your uh, appointments, number two. Three, this is even harder. He's in charge of your betrayals. That was tough. This is tough. Verse 17 to 21, he says to them, verse 18, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. Surely not I. So, they arrive for the Passover. Judas doesn't know where it is. He doesn't know where the Passover is. But he can't leave when he gets to the Passover because it's a secret room somewhere. So he's thinking to himself, I can't, get, I can't text the chief priest right now and say, hey, we're in this upper room on this street. There's the address. Because Jesus kind of hid that whole thing from him. So Judas said to himself, he listened to the conversation, said, oh, they're going to the garden next. We'll get them in the garden. You see, this is, this is kind of how the text goes, and this is the stuff behind the scenes. And so they arrive there. Judas doesn't know yet, and he's stuck there until he can't just leave and say, I've got to go do some errands. No, it's the Passover. So he's got to stay till the end of the Passover, which would be 9 o'clock. And then Jesus interrupts the worship and celebration with Judas there, and he says truly. Anytime he says truly in the Bible, what he's doing is he's quoting the Old Testament. It's always important to know that. So truly, I'm telling you, I'm speaking God's written word beyond a shadow of a doubt. One of you will betray me. The Bible says in verse 19, they were grieved. They were grieved. What does that mean? It's a Greek word which means they got distressed. All of them in the room got distressed and violently agitated. That's the word in the Greek there. They got violent. They were shocked. They were in shock and disbelief. Betray you. I'm not going to betray you, and that's exactly what was going on here. Now, they had no clue Judas was the guy. But it is interesting. They knew enough about their own heart that their first thought was, is it me? Will I betray him. Nobody thought Judas, you know why? Because Judas is a great hypocrite. Hypocrites are great at what they do. They mimic what other people do. They mimic it and they know how to play the game. And so they could never figure out it was Judas all along who was the one who was ultimately going to do the betrayal. And Jesus sits there and just says that. And then one by one, it's so awkward. It'd be so awkward to be in a room and come up and just, you know, is it I? And, and then what if Jesus said, yeah, it's you. you'd you'd be incredibly embarrassed. And that's what happened to Judas. Judas said, is it I? And we don't know this from Mark, but in John he says, it's just like you say, buddy. It's you. And God forbid I do anything to inconvenience you. You wanted to do it at an opportune time, you wanted to do it where it went inconvenient. You could get in, get out, get the money, go home. You got it, buddy. Go and do it quickly. Go into the night and make your transaction because I'm not going to inconvenience you. That's, that's the kind of the feel of the text around this. And so he leaves and he goes out. And then Jesus says an incredible verse, verse 21. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. There could be people in here right now that would have been good if you'd never been born. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a scary thought. Maybe I should have never been born. And that's exactly what Jesus said there. Just as God prophesied Jesus was destined to be deceived and betrayed by Judas. What Jesus is doing is he's predicting and telling them every detail of every moment so they know that whatever happens in these next moments of time, you will be able to say this is all in God's plan. Your betrayals are in God's plan. This is so hard to get a hold of. The people that burned you. I can name a few in my life from my past life. I can name a few in the past of my life that have burned me i never thought they would betray me but jesus said i want you to know i predicted and i know every detail it was ordained before the foundations of the world jesus said that i get betrayed by a very very close friend judas because david was betrayed by a very close friend his trusty counselor ahithophel was his best friend ahithophel and ahithophel betrayed david and when he betrayed him you know what ahithophel did he went out after he saw that he betrayed david and he went out and he hung himself just like judas did and that was predicted a thousand years before the event would happen and jesus said it is written of me that i must be betrayed because why i'm the son of david and everything that happened to david will happen to me This is incredible how he could do such detail of these moments. So here we see in the scriptures the intersection between the secret counsel of God and the scheming evil plotting of the human will. Now I want you to get this. I want you to have this down in your heart because you'll wrestle with this and you'll make all kind of bad conclusions if you're not careful. You say, well, wait, if God predestined the betrayal of Judas, how could he hold Judas responsible for the evil deed? God predestined it would happen, so how could Judas be responsible for that? That's a great question. You know, I can almost hear Judas on Judgment Day. Okay, he gets his chance to stand before God, and he's judged. He says, Lord, Lord, it all went perfectly as you planned it. I was predestined to betray you, and that put you on a cross, which then bought the redemption of your people, and now your people are saved because I was used as you predestined myself to be. You just imagine him coming up with something. You're going to come up with something when you're about ready to go to hell. You're going to come up with something That would be my best argument if I was Judas getting ready to be cast into a lake of fire and, and Judas says it would have never happened if I didn't betray you. So therefore, Lord, I was used to bring Jesus to a cross and your people are now redeemed. Lord, if anything, you should pin a medal on me. No, 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 no. This is the mystery of concurrence where two streams come together as one it's a mystery and don't think anybody can solve it for you okay and it's beyond you it's beyond me and it's beyond any good writers on it as well but the mystery of concurrence says that ultimately there's a sovereign will of god that he has declared to happen and there is earthly the earthly will of human flesh god never coerced judas to do his evil, his evil act he can never stand up, and don't you ever do this either. He can never stand up and say, the devil made me do it. Don't ever use a line like that. He can't bl- blame the devil. He went in and possessed me. What was I going to do? What, are you going to forget about all the things that led up to your possession? But he can't He can't Blame the devil. Blame the devil. Or God, you made me do it. I was predestined to do this. If it's anybody's fault, blame yourself, God. That's the way people think. That's the way people think. And I'm telling you, Judas did according to what Judas wanted to do. You have got to get that into your mind. The devil didn't make you do it. God did not make you do it or make you do it. It was you. You did according to what you wanted wanted to do. It's so important to understand that because that's how Judas ended up in hell. He did what he wanted to do. That's, that's, that's very important. That's what this verse, verse 31, is saying. But yet, out of that treachery and evil of all these things, God plans and weaves a plan to bring good out of evil. The evil of Judas and the evil of everything else He plans good and redemption. So Jesus said, in verse 21, I'm going according to God's foreordination. It is predestined for me to be betrayed. And I'm walking right toward that betrayal. But he also said, but cursed be the man who betrays me. It would be better that he was never born. That, to me, is the strongest statement of human responsibility in the Bible the strongest statement of human responsibility. He was predestined, but he went to hell of his own free accord. You go there by your own choice. You go there by your own choice. And so that strong statement, he's saying it's better never to be born than damned forever. That'd be so true, wouldn't it? Better to never have been born than to be damned forever. And the severest punishment in hell will be for those who knew the most about Jesus Christ and still disobeyed and rejected him. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. And that's what I wanted you to understand by these betrayals. They are of God. They are of God in your life. That'll help you. That'll help you. And I don't mean to minimize your betrayal because some of you have been hurt by some very, very close people to you in your life. But... I think you have to hold on to that in a way that you you believe that. You believe that. Okay, let me go on number four. Number four, your chaos and death. Your chaos and death. This is verse 22 to 26. God now brings them, Jesus brings them to the communion table. He's going to change it from the Passover lamb and the Passover ceremony to the communion table table. It's the last time a lamb will be sacrificed for Jesus Christ and his disciples. And now Jesus Christ is going to say at this meal, it's no longer a Passover. It's now a communion because now you're going to drink in remembrance of me. It's a memorial. That's all it is. You're going to remember that my blood represents the payment for your sin. And you're going to remember my broken body on a cross ripped apart was my body broken for you. I did it for you. I gave up my whole life for you. And I never want you to forget that, so it's going to be a memorial. It was a sign, just as it was back in the Passover day when they were coming out of Egypt with chaos and violence everywhere. God said, before you leave town, before we go through that Red Sea, I want you to splash blood on the doorposts and on the side of the doors. And I want you to splash it with hyssop. And I want you to splash it up and down on those doorposts and then over the threshold door at the top. I want you to, uh, over at the overhead post too, I want you to splash it. I just want you to splash it like this. And I want you to be over there and over there. And then when the death angel comes through and sees the blood, it's not that that person in that house doesn't deserve judgment. They deserve judgment. But what they see is, what the death angel sees is there's already been death in this house. There's already been a payment of blood. Someone has already died in this house, and there's no sense condemning a criminal twice if he paid once. And so the death angel just kind of hops over that house. He goes on to the next house. And it's a sign, it's a sign. The blood was a sign. I remember when Harold Simcox took us down to uh, Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and we went down there, about 20 of us went down to work in Hattiesburg because Hattiesburg and Biloxi got hit just as hard as uh, New Orleans and so we went to Hattiesburg, we worked there for the week and then I had to fly out of Biloxi to get back for an appointment I had up here and so they took me down to Biloxi and I remember when we rode along the shoreline of Biloxi and everything, the casinos and the hotels, everything was wiped out, and it was just like this, this sand and ocean, and that was it, and there was this like half road there, and we were able to go out on that half road, and see all the destruction of the coastline there at Biloxi, where everything was gone, it's, it's painted in my mind, they left me there at Biloxi, and a pastor took me over to the airport, and before he did, he said, let me take you up some of these roads, just like they did in New Orleans, and he said, uh, If you'll see see a mark on the door, that means every house that has been destroyed here in the coast of Biloxi has been checked. And they put an X on the door. And the X has four quadrants in it. And each quadrant represented something. What that means is they went into the house and they checked it. And when they checked it, they first identified on the left quadrant what the group was that was looking at the house. On the top was the date they looked at the house to see if anybody had died, any dead bodies in the house. And then on the right, um, I forget, I meant to bring the picture, but on the right is, um, oh, the threats. Is there a dog in there going to bite somebody? Is there a cat? The cats are really dangerous. And so uh, you got the dog, the cat, and if, is there a gas leak or is there some broken gas lines? And so you, you identify the threat. And then at the bottom was the number of the people that had died in the house. It was eerie. It was eerie. the eeriness of that moment when you'd go by and you'd see zero died or three died or two. I I couldn't help but think about the Passover that the Passover blood was a sign that in this house, there's zero deaths. But in someone who doesn't have the blood applied to their life, there's two deaths or three deaths. And that was a sign. And that was a sign. And that just, that just sticks with me as I think about that. And the Passover time existed at a time of chaos and getting out of town. And so with Jesus' life, it's darkness and chaos and violence all around him. And, and the point that I'm trying to make is this. What I've realized about this chaos and death in our life is God has an incredible ability to use the devil to bless you. God has an incredible ability to use the devil to bless you. Let me say it another way. The Bible says in Psalm 23, He will make your enemies your footstool. Your footstool. He will use the opposition in order to push you toward rejection. He wants you, the devil wants you to be rejected, but God will use that to push you toward rejection which is an amazing thing. If God allowed you to be rejected, it is only through that rejection that you might have direction. So God takes something as evil as rejection and he's going to give you direction through it. And after a while, you'll be able to come back (laughs) <laughs> which is amazing. You just have to grow in the Christian life to do this. You'll be able to come back to the people that rejected you and betrayed you and hurt you, and you'll be able to thank them. Say, so thank them? Thank them for what? Because when you rejected me, you gave me my direction, and in my direction, I found myself going through some horrific things in my life, and there's no way I could have seen that God was going to use the devil to bless me. And what he was going to do is he's going to put me in that situation, and I could go back and say thank you because what you did to me is you put me on my knees before God. And I got to know God in a way I've never known. And I couldn't see it, I didn't want to go through it, but you put me in it. I'm telling you, in your chaos and in your death, and in your betrayals and in your appointments, God has total charge and total control of your life. I'm going to give you the last one. I'll close, okay, because I'm out of time here. Your mess-ups. He's in your mess-ups, too. Peter messed up. The, The disciples messed up. It's not that they were messed up, okay? Jesus predicted, you guys will betray me, too. You guys will all go away from me. And Jesus said, you'll all scatter You'll all go away. Why? Because you're weak. You're weak. You're weak. I'm weak. We're all weak. I too could fall away. It's possible, and I just want to warn you this, okay? You can heap up sins, and you can heap up sins in your life that could lead to messed up thinking in your head and in your actions. And your betrayal could turn to hatred. Because when you love the things God hates, you tend to hate the God who hates those things. And when you get in that situation, you tend to pick a side. And so what Jesus is saying is beware. Beware. You can get to a point where you just pull away from me to a point where you're picking a side. Here's the difference, though, and I want to say this and I'm going to close, okay? The difference is with the disciples and Judas. They wouldn't betray the Lord and sell him out. Okay, that's important to understand. They wouldn't betray the Lord and sell him out, but they would be ashamed to identify with him. That was their sin. They would not identify. They were publicly afraid to identify with Jesus Christ. And yet the strongest disciples said, I don't care what they do. I'll never do it. And so Jesus gave him a very specific prophecy, and he said, I tell you, before the cock crows, before that rooster crows at 6 a.m., three times you'll do it. The other guys, they'll just run, but you three times will deny me with your lips, and you'll curse me. And he did. And he did. And that just makes me very aware uh, uh, Because Peter was the best of the 12 in terms of just his commitment to Christ. And no one was more ashamed of Jesus than the top guy. That warns me as a pastor, okay? I just want you to know that. I think about that. The top guy shamed Jesus and was afraid to identify him more than any of the other disciples. Now, the shame of Judas is unbelief. It's irretrievable. There's no remedy But the shame of the 11 is weakness. It's only temporary in your life. It's only temporary, and it will turn to faith if you allow God to use it. That's why you've got to see all of these things as appointments, the time clock, the betrayals, all of these things, your mess-ups. He is in control of your mess-ups. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to know all these. All right, let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and eyes closed, praise team's going to come. They're going to sing a closing song. And I've mentioned five things. And I got a feeling as I went through them this week in my heart, my heart was, I'll just be honest, was convicted over some of them. And I just felt like I had to put them at the altar in my own heart. And you may be here today and you would say as you listened, you know, one of those things I do struggle with, and this this is a tough one for me, And I just want to pray for you. If you have one of those five that came to your mind, that you would say, hey, I need some prayer over that. I struggle with it. Would you just lift up your hand so I can pray with you? Yes, I see those. Yes, yes, hands all all over. Thank you for raising those hands. If you raised your hand, I, I want to pray for you that for the mess up, okay? Because the mess up, the betrayal, the time clock, whatever that may be in your life, I want to lift it up. Maybe it's chaos. Maybe it's the death. The appointments. Whatever it is. Let's just lay it before the Lord right now. Father, I want to lift up each of these hands that went up. You're struggling with that. and, And to come to believe that you would actually set that up for a purpose that we can't see. That you would work out and take our weakness and you would turn it into good. And you make something beautiful out of it. Even with our enemies. God, I just want to lay these folks before you. And I just want to lift them up. I want to pray your, your power over them. Your grace as they've listened by the Spirit of God that you would move and work in their life. And I commit it to you now. And I ask it over their lives. In Jesus' name. Now just before we close this invitation, is there anyone here that would say... You know, I don't know if I'm, I'm in that Judas state or not. I don't know if I'll get to a point where I'll regret that I was ever born. But Pastor Rob, I, w- I want to be saved. I want to settle this thing, man. I'm, I'm feeling the weight of that. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to be saved. I, I just want to give that opportunity. Is there anyone here who would lift up their hand right now and say, that's me, that's me. Raise it up right now. With the Spirit of God speaking. Let me see it. I want to see it. Raise it up. You say, that's me. I need to be saved. Now, I don't see any hands, so I'm not going to push this, but I want to take a moment for it. Okay, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, may your hand be over us now. We lift it up to you now. We thank you for these truths that could guide us and lead our lives. We'll surrender all these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Uh, Praise team's going to sing now. Let's join in the praise, and then I'm going to come back for some of these folks that are going to be joining our church in just a few moments. The altar's open.